podcast i'm gabriel chavez i'm paul schedule and i'm fucking pissed because gabe missed the record button we've been going for what 20 minutes now uh, about we have to 15. start all over again i'm sorry i'm sorry it's totally my fault i'll buy you guys drinks at some point we are joined today by our friend rupert rupert say hello how's it going everybody rupert sanchez is the dp that started in la i knew him from work out there he sort of lives in new york now but he's currently in houston because of the coronavirus rupert your background is that you were in the military for a few years is that correct yeah yeah i was uh four, go, four almost five um as an mp stationed overseas in um, both germany and then i went to a 12-month tour in Iraq. Great. Today we are smurfing upon the 2009 Dances with Wolves remake that is James Cameron's 178-minute version of Avatar. If you don't know about this movie, first off, this is a spoiler alert. If you have a problem with someone shitting on a movie that you haven't seen and you need to see it, I do not recommend that you see Avatar. I personally hate this movie. You but... have to join the human race and get with the program game. You have to see this movie if you haven't already watched it. You know, it, it is it is one of those movies that I feel like you have to see. Like, like Titanic, you know, I mean, it is just one of those movies that you probably should see just for the sake of being with everybody else that saw it and you can bitch about it it's a piece of shit like i did so <laughs> anyway if you do not know what this movie is please shut this off now go watch it and then come back and enjoy laughing along at us making fun of this movie for the next hour and a half if you do not know what it's about i am handing it over to pablo francisco lead us away pablo <clears throat> a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. It's a 20th Century Fox release through Dune Entertainment and Cameron's own Lightstorm Entertainment. Dune Entertainment is a rather large releasing company, but some of their titles include such excrementatious films such as Jennifer's Body, Jupiter Ascending, which is a fucking gem of a movie. It's wonderful. <laughs> a Good Day to Die Hard. Goddamn, that movie is fucking terrible too. They have also released some real gems such as Black Swan, Life of Pi, Lincoln and Danny Boyle's 2010 one-man opus film starring James Franco called 127 Hours. Lightstorm, of course, is James Cameron's production company. His usual suspects here include Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, and The Abyss, which is one of my favorites, as well as a few films not directed by him, including Strange Days, Soderbergh's 2002 remake of Solaris with the same name, and Tombstone. Little trivia here, the director of Tombstone's son is Panos Cosmotos, who directed the absolutely insane Nick Cage movie named Mandy in 2018. That was one oh, of my man. very favorite movies that yeah. year, and it's crazy and it's fucked classic. up and weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's his name? The guy the guy who played Bruce Wayne's dad in Batman Begins, Linus Roach, that's his name. He plays uh, the weird, like, cult leader in that movie. Oh, yeah. He nice. is fucking fantastic in that, dude. Like, that <laughs> weird, crazy. there's shit. that weird scene where they're, they have, like, all those, like, neon lights, like, fading into different colors, and he's staring directly into the camera, and it keeps, like, morphing his face with that other face. And there's a moment where they combine his cheekbones with like somebody else's eyes and somebody else's forehead. And it's the weirdest image. Like it fucking freaked me out when I saw it, honestly. Yeah. I actually took Caitlin to that movie because it was my time. <laughs> it's a good, good date night movie for sure. <laughs> but I took Caitlin to that movie. And afterwards, she's like, you need to let me pick the next three movies because of this. <laughs> 
right. well you got to see it just for the chainsaw fight yeah it's like yeah yeah it has an obscenely long and large chainsaw and nick cage gets to fight him with another <laughs> chainsaw so just for that alone go see that movie that's fantastic yeah. it really is anyway it was produced by cameron along with uh light uh uh I, I really don't know how to say her name she's greek i think who wrote the 2010 martin scorsese psychological paranoid thriller that is shutter island i fucking love that movie by the way i think that that's a really weird outstanding script that she wrote because she also wrote a slew of goddamn disasters including <laughs> oliver stone's 2004 abomination called alexander terminator genesis mm -hmm. and alita battle angel which is robert rodriguez's film who hails from texas same <laughs> as rupert enjoy that that's the only texas reference that i'm gonna make well no i'm gonna make a shitload of references to george w bush during this so forget <laughs> it john landau not related to martin cameron's long-term producing buddy since titanic also produced along with Peter Toboyanson, who is the film's quote-unquote digital producer. His work includes Alice in Wonderland, The Jungle Book, A Christmas Carol, and Beowulf. Basically anything that involves a shit ton of motion capture, except he didn't do Tintin, which I thought was kind of interesting. Regardless, it stars Sam Worthington, who I seriously don't know how he has a career. He's a bit of a bit part actor actually he was in like hearts war with bruce willis as like this bit part soldier and whatnot but then he landed terminator salvation salvation and avatar the same year in 2009 which is really weird because then you know he was just kind of on the top of his game there for a second and then he did clash of the titans and its sequel and his career has been in free fall ever since with terrible action movies as he desperately tries to claw his way back to the top but he is in four more of these fucking avatar movies that they're filming <laughs> right now in music New Zealand. I, you know, I saw this interview with James Cameron that I thought was really weird was that he was talking about Avatar and he was saying how much he enjoyed the world of Pandora and whatnot. And that there was so much as he was developing the script that he could make five or six movies out of this. Like there's that much material. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I don't know how, like this movie on its own feels thin as long as it is. And I really don't know how you can get five fucking movies out of this, but regardless. And how many he movies take it. place on earth, Gabe? Huh? Huh? Does it Think matter? It <laughs> Does it matter, Paul? Do I need to see it? I think it he or... saved it all for the sequel still. Term I could be wrong. You know, Terminator 2 is a fucking fantastic sequel. It, it fucking blows the original Terminator out of the water. You know, as much as I don't like admitting admitting it, I actually think that Aliens is a better movie than Alien in a lot of ways. But, Whoa. I mean, yeah. it, it is a different movie, though. I'm never going to say that yeah. Aliens is the same kind of movie, but it's more entertaining. I'll give it that. And it's, like, more tautly directed in some way. Regardless, Zoe Saldana co-stars in this movie as Neytiri. You'll know her as Gamora in the Marvel movies as well as Ohura in the Star Trek movies. Shout out to J.J. Abrams, you fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> She's good. She's mm. good. But she's mostly a franchise actress who she doesn't really get to stretch her, stretch her legs dramatically. The only thing that I can think of that I liked her in was Scott Cooper's 2013 film Out of the Furnace and Anders Walter's 2017 film I Kill Giants. I actually really like I Kill Giants. It's a shame more people haven't seen it. It's quirky and heartfelt and pretty imaginative in all honesty. Longtime alumni Sigourney, or I'm sorry, longtime alien alumni Sigourney Weaver co-stars as Grace. She, of course, is 
known for her role as Ellen Ripley in the Alien franchise films. She's also been nominated for three Oscars, which I didn't know over the years, with Gorillas in the Mist and Working Girl earning her two nominations in the same year in 1988. And her other Oscar nom for James Cameron's previous film, Aliens, in 1986. Again, I still don't understand how that movie got nominated for Best Actress for that fucking role. Like, she's good, but she's not, like... Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> you bitch! <laughs> that that was the Oscar. See, moment. I can't do it. You can't do that. No, no. She can bring but that kind of performance to the screen. I'm also not a female, so <laughs> you know, there's mm. that. Regardless. What are you saying? What are you trying to say, Gabe? I'm saying that yeah. women <laughs> act better than men. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Get the fuck out of here. Get off my jock. <laughs> the the excellent character. Oh, <laughs> The excellent character actor Stephen Lang co-stars as George W. Bush. I'm sticking with that because he's such a fucking hasty, jingostic dick in this movie. It's classic James Cameron's stereotypical character work. You will undoubtedly know him for his, his role in Tombstone and the excellent 2016 horror movie Don't Breathe. He all, he's also terrific in Michael Mann's 1986 film Manhunter and the 1993 epic Gettysburg, as well as one of my guilty pleasures, Disney's 1999, or 1995 film Tall Tale. You can shout out about Texas all you want, Rupert. There's, like, there's that like four-minute scene in that movie where Pecos Bill like defends the great state of Texas, and he has like the best line <laughs> He walks up to that guy in the bar. It's like shitting on Texas. He's like, sir, you can insult my wife. You can insult my mom. You can even insult my brother or my horse. But sir, don't you ever insult the great state of Texas. Yep. <laughs> he punches him in the face and launches him through a window. It's pretty good, actually. I'd see that movie if you haven't seen it. It's, it's bad, but it's pretty good. It's got a huge cast. Anyway. Best Texans in a nutshell right there. <laughs> <laughs> the the excellent but almost always miscast Michelle Rodriguez co-stars is another overwritten Cameron strong female stereotype. She's excellent in the 2000 movie Girl Fight as well as Steve McQueen's fantastic 2018 film Widows. Side note, if you want to see an absolutely objectionably horrifying film, check out the 2016 movie called The Assignment with her and Sigourney Weaver. This movie is so goddamn objectionable. It is one of a few movies I will say is actually deplorable. That movie... Wow. I, now I have to go see it, Gabe. That movie, that other movie from 2010 called A Serbian Film, which I still don't understand. I think it's... <laughs> Dude, a Serbian film. <laughs> a Serbian oh, film yeah. is really weird because it's like it's it's supposed to be like a comment on like the Serbian like government and whatnot, but it's just there are so many so... images from that movie that are burned into my memory <laughs> and my mind. So I mean, it's hard to say that about a lot of movies. So yeah. you should go see it. Just yeah, if, if without like... any context either. Like just just let them wander in. And... <laughs> If, if you like your psyche permanently scarred check out a serbian film but this movie called the assignment is completely awful and it's completely deplorable it's about an assassin that wakes up after sex reassignment surgery to take revenge on his doctor who is responsible that's right it's a transphobic movie about a fucking person who is forced to go through a sex change operation and kill the doctor responsible it's transphobic <laughs> and, and as shit michelle rodriguez plays yeah Michelle Rodriguez plays the man, now woman, yes. Well, what was the doctor's motivation? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I saw the movie and I remember latching onto it pretty hard because of how much I hated it, but I don't remember. It's just sort of like the inciting incident and they never exactly oh, say why other than that he might be crazy. And yeah, I just, I don't understand. <laughs> 
Anyway, so oh, la man. lastly, the almost always excellent Giovanni Ribisi, as well as the great character actress CCH Pounder, who is excellent in the TV show The Shield. If you haven't seen it, it's a great TV show. And the legendary Native American actor Wes Studi, who is unforgettable in The Last of the Mohicans and is also in Dances with Wolves, all co-star. James no. Cameron. Don't forget about Hit. Heat. Yes, yeah. yes. He's a, you know, my favorite part in he honestly with him is when they go to kick Henry Rollins' door in and they blast the door off the hinges with the slugs and they kick the door in and <laughs> like Al Pacino throws Henry Rollins through the fucking plate glass window and starts like smacking him around. I yeah, I fucking classic. love that scene. It's so good. <laughs> There's so many great scenes in that movie. But James Cameron is responsible for the screenplay for Avatar, but you can also give uncredited rewrites to Dances with Wolves author and scribe Michael Blake, Fern Gully's Jim Cox, <laughs> everyone who wrote Pocahontas, as well as Paul Anderson for his book, Call Me Joe, and the writers of the 2007 animation movie called Battle for Terra. And that's just scratching the surface, dude. I actually, when I was researching this movie, I, I found this list of like 35 different things that all have exactly the same storyline or very close storylines to avatar books comic books movies all shit made before avatar it's actually quite incredible seriously people this movie grabs from so many other sources it's a wonder that this can even be credited to cameron at all i really don't understand it obviously this movie is directed by james cameron as we all as if we couldn't forget this motherfucker loves to put his name on the poster four fucking times. The extended collector's edition we'll be discussing is 178 minutes long and was produced on a small budget of only $237 million. Some people actually pumped this number up <laughs> to around 320 that this movie was actually made for. There's really not actually a listed production budget for this movie. And I think that that was deliberate by James Cameron. Not least of all because James Cameron is making a movie that's anti-technology like about living in the forest being one with nature but he's using like the most expensive technology that he possibly can in order to create this fucking movie again if you guys remember uh -huh. that we've been saying if you take a movie's budget and you double it that's actually how much it actually cost because of advertising costs and all that other shit involved with it so this movie literally cost half a billion dollars to create this fucking world of blue cat smurfs <laughs> fuck this movie you know when it came out i don't remember there being that much advertising for it i i don't know I didn't, no like not a lot of uh fanfare and i all mean that you and I were living together at the time, and I think that I think that we had actually stopped paying for cable at that point, so we weren't watching TV. We were just watching uh, like so. streaming shit. But I, I really don't know. Anyway, it was released on the 18th of December 2009 at 3,452 theaters and opened at a 77 million dollar opening weekend. This is actually really important because this opening weekend really isn't that great for such a large movie. And this movie was actually one of the slower movies to get to 100 million, but once it or so i'm sorry it's a 200 million but once it got to 200 million it just like fucking took off and it just kept building and building and building which is like nuts it opened at the number one spot against disney's the princess and the frog and it's fourth week in the number two spot the number three spot goes to another white savior movie that actually won sandra bullock an oscar <laughs> called the blind side at number three in its fifth week, uh, the Hugh Grant comedy, Did You Hear About the Morgans, in its first week in the number four spot. And lastly, the Twilight Saga, New Moon, in its fifth week, rounding out the top five. It was in theaters for 379 days, over a fucking year, because James Cameron just needed to break his previous record holder, <laughs> Titanic's box office. He couldn't be happy enough. He just needed to have another one. 
Seems like some self-aggrandizing bullshit, personally, but I digress. Seriously, dude, his last movie before this actual narrative movie was 1997's Titanic. It took him 12 years to make this fucking movie. And on top of that, like, he jerked off on all those Titanic documentaries in between. He did, like, four Titanic documentaries, and I'm like, I get it. I get it, dude. You get stuck on an idea, and you just live there for forever. Because, like, Avatar, he hasn't directed a movie since Avatar, and that was 2009. Like, this is 11 years later. And what's he working on right now? <laughs> Avatar. Like, Avatar. he just, he can't give it up. I mean, he was supposed to do Alita Battle Angel and he had written the screenplay for it and it was all in pre-production. And he's like, oh no, I need to back off and do my four fucking Avatar movies <laughs> instead of doing Alita Battle Angel. But whatever, doesn't matter. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to try to calm down on the ranting here because I'm going <laughs> to... I'm gonna pop a fucking blood vessel. Yeah, yeah. You're have a kind of it, cardiac thing. Gag. <laughs> just chill. It made a massive $749 million domestically and a Titanic $1.994 billion internationally, bringing the total box office number to $2.744 billion. That means that it was the number one grossing movie of all time at the time of its release. Anyway, that means its opening weekend is the seventh opening of all time in December uh, behind the 2007 Will Smith vehicle, I Am Legend, and ahead of Peter Jackson's 2013 Middle Hobbit movie called The Desolation of Smog, as way at as well as the 70th opening of all time for a PG-13 rated movie ahead of Ant-Man and the Wasp in 2018 and behind 2006's The Da Vinci Code. Contextually, the highest grossing December release of all time is still Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens with a massive $247 million opening weekend. That's, I mean, that's just December release. You know, it was like the new Avengers movie made like $310 million over its opening weekend, like three days. Fucking ridiculous. They <laughs> made, insane. they made, made 1.3 billion dollars in three days on avengers endgame like i don't feel bad for disney at all in any way shape or form like if somebody bitches about disney is like having to cut their share prices or whatever it's only because they're greedy motherfuckers <laughs> so now of course the largest box office of all time record holder is disney's 2019 avengers endgame like we had spoken about 2.797 billion but ironically avengers international numbers are still less than avatar making avatar still the lifetime international record holder its lowest gross <laughs> stop pumping your hands paul <laughs> <laughs> Its lowest gross was once again Ghana, Paul, with a $12,374 opening weekend and a $59,590 total gross. Once again, I will remind our listeners that the all-time highest grossing movie in Ghana is the 2009 Ben Stiller sequel, Night at the Museum, The Battle of the Smithsonian, with a $599,690 <laughs> gross. So to be clear, the biggest movie in the world at the time, Avatar, makes $59,000 grand in Ghana while seven months earlier Ben Stiller's flick made 10 times that amount <laughs> in Ghana it's crazy man in 2009 the average cost of a movie ticket in Ghana was 33.17 Ghanaian SETI or $18.72 American that brings total asses and seats to 661 even Paul Johnny Quarter Slice is nowhere to be seen on this one <laughs> 
Oh, Johnny Quarter Slice. We miss you. I was sad because I really wanted to have a Johnny Quarter Slice joke yeah. this week, but unfortunately he wasn't around. It, it's got a 7.8 with 1,093,876 <laughs> votes on IMDb, an 83% on Metacritic, and an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, making this film just 4% higher than a previous movie we reviewed called Birds of Prey. So this movie is in the same realm on <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, Paul as birds of prey so i'm gonna stick with it as a piece of shit along with that movie continuing on it's metacritic score <laughs> that matters man Come on. <laughs> tomatoes what is that bullshit Come it on. is bullshit it's all paid for anyway <laughs> it's it's marked highest by males 45 or older with an average of 7.9 stars and its lowest demographic is females younger than 18 with a 7.2 but anyway among my favorite reviews is sean burns from the <laughs> philadelphia weekly or from philadelphia weekly sean writes the movie looks like the kind of gaudy 1970s airbrush painting you'd see on a van owned by your stoner friend who goes to too many rush concerts <laughs> fernando cross from sin of passion writes alternates between a slurry of Franz Mark expressionism and the most elaborate Thundercats episode ever made. Nice. Armand White. Yeah, that's a good one. Armand White from the New York Press writes, the corniest movie ever made about a white man's need to lose his identity and assuage racial, political, sexual, and historical guilt. (laughs) (laughs) That sums it up pretty well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly... (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, it's rated PG-13 for intense epic battle sequences in warfare, sensuality, language, and some smoking. So, Paul. Don't forget, you can see some uh, naughty nipple as well. You know, I every time I watch this movie, I look for the Ntiri nipple, and I can't see it. I I, I write this down several times throughout my notes, (laughs) is that... She seems to be wearing like pasties or it's like stuck. Her necklace is like stuck to her in a particular way that it's just perfectly covering the nipples. Because God forbid that you see a female nipple, like nah, especially a blue female nipple. Like, oh my God, man. I am going to write my congressman. <laughs> Straight away, R rating, <laughs> man, if you see a female nipple. Anyway, so Paul, my taint is sweating as I stare. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> my taint is sweating as I stare into the ceiling of the Herbert Humphrey metronome or metrodome as I focus on the inexplicable swastika that's in the middle of the insulation in the roof I hear someone yell out from the crowd I turn my mind back to the game and I see you wind up from the mound and you pitch this motherfucker to me Paul (laughs) (laughs) all right listen up I'm James Cameron you may have heard of me from this little movie called Titanic. You know, it made Wait, more than a billion dollars. What movie? Uh, 27 Oscars <laughs> or something. Yeah. Let me let me just pick one of these up, right? You hear this? You hear that? It's the fucking sound of fucking solid goddamn gold, motherfucker. Now listen. Now listen. If you want to make another billion dollars, how about... billion. Give me fucking $250 million to make this movie. It's about a planet, all right? A planet. And it's about corporate greed. Get this right. We're going to make a movie about corporate greed and the white man's greed. And we're going to make so much goddamn money. It's going to be fucking amazing. It's going to be fucking amazing. 
<laughs> we don't need a script really we're just gonna <laughs> copy and paste lines music everything like that from other movies okay but all right, of it's easy. gonna go into the visuals the visuals are the key man <laughs> Fucking blue aliens <laughs> everywhere you're gonna love it and they got tails big eyes all that stuff very sexy very do sexy. these aliens have the ability to connect their tails in some sort of weird orgy thing is that possible oh, can we shit. get that down that's a great idea <laughs> i'm gonna go jerk off a little bit and I'll sold in a second. sold that's great yeah 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 you got it man what do you you want the money right now i can write you a fucking check i prefer wire transfers actually i don't fucking trust your money i need i need it in the account all right when when can we have this movie how long do you need to shoot this fucking thing i mean it sounds uh, you know i can have it a couple months uh no actually 10 years 10 what the 10. fuck <laughs> <laughs> just, hear well, me out it's just gonna take some time to develop some technology to bring my ideas my amazing ideas of this planet to life so okay leave me the fuck alone give me the fucking money <laughs> listen to this sound hear the fucking sound right we're gonna win more of those fucking gold statues great boy. it's gonna be amazing that was great so straight off the bat paul i my number one <laughs> fucking problem with this movie is the irritating voiceover. Okay. Like start starting the voiceover immediately in like this third person omniscient, like he's viewing these things with you and he's speaking to you about the images that are on the screen is irritating. Number one. And number two, when it finally justifies the voiceover that he's actually been recording this whole time, his fucking like video diary or whatever. It doesn't make any sense because he wouldn't be viewing the fucking scene that you're looking at with <laughs> you as an audience member. He's reflecting on his, uh, his life there game. That Can't just happens to be on his life. That just happens to be edited together in the exact same way that you're seeing <laughs> on the screen. It's fucking brilliant, man. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, his mind's eye must be absolutely insane in order for us to be able to see this kind of shit. But whatever, you know, fuck it. Doesn't matter. So <laughs> in in the opening in the opening scene of the extended edition, like we're greeted with this scene of him like wheeling across this giant futuristic like intersection in his wheelchair. And he says in the voiceover, vet benefits for a month from his vet check plus twelve bucks will get you a cup of coffee. So my question is, how the fuck does he eat? <laughs> how much money i mean he's sitting at the fucking bar like how much money does the bar cost he's got a he's got a side hustle man everyone's got a side hustle a cripple a cripple in a fucking wheelchair has a side hustle yeah. i mean everyone's got one he probably puts that uh shit to use you know arm I mean, wrestling what was, <laughs> what was what tripped me out was that he he was holding this shot on his forehead and the whole time i think he's gonna flip it like you know what I mean? I like, do some kind of trick, but then he just grabs it and takes a shot. <laughs> like, a, like I was like, "What? <laughs> How does that make any sense?" The trick was impressive. The trick was is that you were seeing a crippled guy in a wheelchair balance a shot like a fucking trained seal with a beach ball on its nose. That's mm. the fucking joke. See. <laughs> Regardless. So I, again, with the voiceover, but I, I, I don't like how, like my biggest issue with this whole fucking movie is that he in three months, which is the timetable that George W. Bush gives him in order to do diplomacy. <laughs> 
in three months, he is somehow able to go from he's a demon in a fucking, you know, fake body to the top of their like echelon cream of the crop. I'm even going to give him the fucking throne of the avatars because the guy at the end dies and he hands it over to him. This is so reductive to indigenous people, number one. (laughs) And number two, it's so fucking irritating how this white boy is like able to jump to the top of all these ranks all because he's what? I mean, he's He's not he's not good at anything that they're showing him to do like they're always well, all right he also him. got the magic tree flower like the the tree jellyfish landed <laughs> on him um, yeah so i mean that that's what it came down to really i mean he was going to get murdered and like so two minutes into the movie indigenous the, people are glowing <laughs> he's a chosen one yeah <laughs> he's the chosen one so there you go that's white all it sa- comes down to game white savior man i can't do it but anyway regardless <laughs> i'm gonna move on so he says he says in the voice right, before before we go on uh, i just need to make it clear that i like this movie and <laughs> i'm gonna go as much as i can for it so. all right yeah so i'm gonna so, keep- wait, wait 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 before you keep bitching <laughs> I'll tell you why I like it. It's just the the immersion of the whole thing. It's a whole planet realized. I mean, the script is derivative, obviously, <laughs> but he wanted to just keep it simple. James Cameron just wanted to keep it simple and focus on but, the immersion of the but experience. To, but to build, like I watched it, I watched it last night, and I was like pumped up after it ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But what? Uh, what? Yeah. But what was he building towards, Paul? Because here's the thing, like most adventure like action movies like this build toward like some mind blowing third act action scene, right? You know, every single adventure film has to build toward that. This movie, like by the time that we get to that, even in the fucking three hour director's cut, the end fight scene, nothing changed. It's still only 27 minutes long. Like I sat through two hours and 30 minutes of fucking exposition to get this 27 minute action scene that in retrospect respect really isn't that good think about braveheart for a second paul right like what makes braveheart really exciting right it's not particularly that he's like fighting against the english and he's trying to kick him out of his homeland whatever it's the fucking battle scenes man and it's him building up to like this giant battle scene and getting people behind him and like believing in the cause to kick the english out and blah 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 blah, blah. and there's like six battle scenes in that movie and they're all <laughs> fucking bigger and bigger and bigger and like you know i mean you know this i've talked to you about this before but like the the thing for Braveheart that makes it truly special to me is the amount of like hyper ultra violence that's in that movie like the fucking cleaving of the heads in half and shit like that like that (laughs) shit that shit is entertaining man and it's like it's like straight up medieval you know and I I dig that you can't you can't make two billion dollars with head cleaving and <laughs> man getting smashed in the face with a mace in his bed or you know, any number of the things that they did in Braveheart which when I saw it it was shocking to me and I of course I absolutely loved it and probably sensed my sense of violence and makeup effects and all that throughout all movies I compare like everything to that movie honestly yeah I mean it's because you're sick in the head but I mean regardless I'm, I'm gonna move past this <laughs> and move on to something else so this this is this is a writing complaint I'm gonna bitch about writing complaints constantly throughout this because I don't think James Cameron is I mean all 
bias aside in terms of like i don't like him because he represents this like giant corporate machine of filmmaking that people see movies like avatar and just like dump money at it like it's the best thing in the world but then movies like moonlight don't make any money at the box office and that kind of shit pisses me off because then it leads to endless sequels because it's like (laughs) oh we can make more money and then all the other movies that were like Moonlight don't get made, don't get seen, and we're just like, we keep pumping out these fucking movies that are just popcorn hits that don't mean anything. It's fucking visual fluff. And <laughs> this I get it. It's all about craft. Like, this is a, a finely tuned, engineered movie. Like, he pulls all the formulas <laughs> for movie magic out yeah. and like tunes them, massages them to like perfection, to the perfect formula to make more than a billion dollars. So, <laughs> A polished turd will slip down a toilet <laughs> faster than an unpolished turd. But <laughs> all bias aside, James Cameron writes with a formula. He writes exactly what he thinks is easy to digest so it reaches the largest audience possible. Here's a perfect example. Sully says in the fucking voiceover that he joined the Marines because he wanted the hardship. But this is 2154. You know what I mean? This isn't he became disillusioned when he was fighting the Nazis or something. Like this is been the corporate establishment of the military for years he knows that he's going to get fucked up in some way but he says that he wanted it but then he's disillusioned by what he got i don't know what he was expecting it just doesn't make any sense i mean if you're already disillusioned might as well try something hard I mean, he seems more disillusioned after being a Marine, though. I mean, they took his legs from him and like he... What's what's your take on this, Rupert? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Gabe. Like it's because normally like I could I can only speak for me. Like I I was like star spangled awesome when I joined the military. I mean, I was you're young. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. But if you know, like right now, if I did it again, it would be a way different mindset going into it a second time. You know, Um, so I don't know. Like Gabe's right. I agree with that, that it doesn't really make sense for him to to say he was you know disillusioned but then also they don't show you that like transition right like the life he's living and then making the decision to go to replace his brother um to me that's the meat to potato yeah i just i don't understand where he's coming from with that line it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but there's all this like i'm gonna move past this for a second about the the marine part and i'm, I'm just gonna say that like he writes all these characters as stereotypes and it's really frustrating to me because like for instance the two g men that show up and they're looking for jake right they find jake in the alleyway and they have like that digital photo of his brother and they look over him as he's laying there in the pool after he gets thrown out of the fucking bar or they're laying or he's laying in the pool of water on the street and one of the g-men looks at him and says like oh it doesn't really look like him and i'm like dude he is a fucking twin of his brother (laughs) just with longer hair like how does he not look like him is this g-man really that stupid that he can't see that four inches of growth in the hair oh my god he's a completely different person it's like that family guy joke where peter is like confused when that guy takes off his mustache and he's like oh my god it's you and then he puts the mustache back on he's like where'd you go who are you sir why are you here it's so stupid like he met like identical twins sometimes like as they grow into middle age they don't look identical anymore but he does that's the thing we see his twin brother in the next <laughs> yeah. scene and he looks exactly alike like literally exactly alike just a short mm. crop haircut maybe they were commenting on his situation down in the muck and everything like that that maybe that's what they. oh were yeah he's fallen so far that he doesn't of course he's not genius line he's not a fu- get the let's see let's see if i can give gabe an aneurysm i'm just gonna keep pushing (laughs) you know i wrote in my notes like this movie isn't subtle like at least 
30 times. <laughs> like, I just kept writing that down. This movie isn't subtle at least 30 times. And that's like one of those examples. Well, and then James Cameron writes lines like when he's sitting in cryo sleep and he wakes up and he says like, in cryo, you don't really dream, blah, 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 blah. You know, it feels like you wake up after a fifth of tequila and an ass kicking. And he wakes up groggy and looks around and sees a spit floating around and then like gets out and floats around. I'm like, okay, I've had a fifth of tequila in me and gotten my ass kicked. And if that's what his version of this is, like it's completely different because that's that's what cryo really feels like he would be fucked up like having a hard time getting his shit together you know what mm-hmm. i mean but he's just like right into it he's a marine man come on he can he's take- never been in space motherfucker <laughs> yeah. and he's been asleep for eight years or something like that in order to get to pandora which is another big problem that i have which i'll talk about later when it comes to science and religion but <laughs> <laughs> So naming naming the head planet Pandora, right? It's actually sort of completely stolen from this book, Call Me Joe. The name of the planet in that is Pandora. It has a hostile world that has these natives living on it that live in trees. There's a guy that pilots a body because the fucking air is toxic to him and like pilots a body <laughs> in order to prefend the natives. It's literally the story nice. of Avatar. I'm like, okay, so even if he didn't get it from that, naming the planet Pandora, and it's like, oh, Pandora's box, right? Like, oh, you open it and all this shit, like you can't close it again, blah, 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 blah. It's not clever, man. It's completely fucking transparent. Well, what would you call it? What would you call the planet, Gabe? I don't know. Exigil something. Exigil. <laughs> Come on. It's lame. Aren't planets like that far out called like numbers and shit? Usually, yeah. They're called numbers until they become important enough to give them a name and then... <laughs> Someone will give them a name from Greek or Roman mythology, usually. And Pandora, boom. Fuck you, it's real. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So I will say that it's interesting that it's six years away. And in terms of our galactic space around Earth, like if they don't have faster than light speed travel, then six years, like six light years, if that's their limit, isn't there's not that much within that that close of a range. So I don't know. It doesn't seem likely that there's a planet called Pandora that close. But uh then well, again, every every time they look closer and closer at these stars that are close to us, they find new planets. So well, maybe they did like maybe some, there's a Pandora right now, man. Maybe Think they did it. something like Interstellar, and they found a black hole, and it actually took them yeah. hundreds of thousands of light years away through the black hole, or some Not, shit. Like or that, maybe yeah. they made a gate with unobtainium. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, Paul, I I have a very simple question for you: Is unobtainium uh-huh. hard to get? I believe it is. I believe it is. I don't right. that, that that whole all right that bothers me it because the whole like economic reason for them to be there just doesn't make sense. <laughs> like unobtainium is this amazing superconductor, but it's not an element. It's some kind of crystal thing that forms and the amount of energy that they like expend to go get it doesn't make any sense they can just make it on earth with some kind of nuclear recombination technology or something like that but he saves a lot of time and effort but he says though that it costs 20 million a kilo that's why they're there you know how much how much it costs to launch a kilo of space like satellite into orbit it's pretty goddamn expensive (laughs) like to get 20 million dollars of of unobtainium and bringing it across galactic space, that's, uh, no. 
It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Fuck that. Oh, well, thank you for admitting that there's at least one chink in this uh, thing's armor. Uh, this movie suffers. <laughs> one, one of the big things that this movie suffers from is that James Cameron is like, at the time of making this movie, he's like 57, 58, something like that, if I remember correctly. But his entire reference point for the military is Vietnam. And he uses every single Vietnam cliche that he can from the fucking like language that the Marines use. Get some. Yeah, especially the get some shit. (laughs) That drives me insane. I wanted Jake to be like, oh, I joined the Marines to meet fascinating people from different countries (laughs) and then kill them. (laughs) One one of the biggest examples that I can give of like this constant weird reference point that everybody in this movie seems to use, like Stephen Lang in this movie, he looks like he's in his 50s, right? Like he's a grizzled like sergeant that's been around the block for a few times been on a few tours whatever he's got that big scar on the side of his head but in terms of the timeline right he would have been born like say maybe 2100 right because he's in his 50s so but he uses the first time we're introduced to him he's walking through doing his little his little old school safety briefing that sully calls it and he his first line is you are not in kansas anymore ladies I'm like, so they're still making references to a 1939 movie called Wizard of Oz, uh, exactly 215 years in the future. And this is supposed to be a relevant reference that people might think is funny that are sitting in the crowd. I bet, I bet they remade Wizard of Oz a couple times. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, still in the lexicon, Gabe. Oh, man. (laughs) They keep remaking it. Well, I mean, I. I was trying to put it in context. Well, people still quote the Bible and Greek <laughs> mythology, you know, Dante, Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare is what, 400 years old now? Everyone knows Shakespeare. So some things are, are classics. So Wizard of Oz is Shakespeare now. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if any quote in Wizard of, Wizard of Oz would stick, I think it would be that one. Yeah. All right, so explain to me the Juju B re- uh, reference, right? Like, <laughs> love that. You get soft. <laughs> Nora will eat you up. Eat your that's eyes. actually, like yeah, that's actually one of my favorite references to make <laughs> because I, I love how Stephen Lang like performs that line. He's just like, yeah. uh, "This low gravity will make you soft." You get soft and Pandora will eat you up and shit you out. <laughs> See, even with the it's even so with the, the stereotype and everything, he gives it everything and he makes it his own. <laughs> That's character. because Stephen Lang is a great actor. Like, even if he's presented with a pile of shit, he's gonna make it his own. Made it but, gold. Boom. To be fair though, I've gotten I've been in some safety briefings that are not that dissimilar to that one. <laughs> See? It's real, man. Uh, we're not really he safety just... briefings, more mission <laughs> briefings, but yeah. Yeah. Nobody so, likes safety briefings. No. <laughs> so everyone's I, asleep for those. <laughs> I have a science question for you, Paul. Uh-huh. In in his uh, in his tirade, his safety meeting, he talks about the Navi, right? And he's just like, they have bones that are reinforced with naturally occurring carbon fiber. And I was like, wait, how does that work? Like carbon fiber, by definition, is like a man-made lattice material. Could have been. Uh, they could have had like buckyball structures or graphene in their bones. Graphene, graphene yeah, that's a real thing. No, I know graphene's you're, you're, a real thing, but like, it's <laughs> there's not... research out there right now that they're genetically engineering bacteria to assemble graphene. So it's a, it's a possibility that you could have proteins in your body that actually mm. produce graphene. Okay, well, I'll, I'll relinquish that. Fiber. 
like the same same thing. And and I mean back then carbon fiber was the shit, you know. <laughs> in 2009. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's get your sure. like get your carbon fiber hood on your Honda. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> carbon fiber everything, dude. Do you have a sandwich tirade in this movie? They don't really uh, I'll get to it at the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because I do have I do have a sandwich tirade, but it's it's at the exact end. Oh wait, wait! I just I wanted to get to this later, but the uh, the scene that's playing right behind me, this is like a total pornographic scene. Because like mm. the moment before, there's like the moment where she like nuzzles up next to him to make sure that he's like pulling the arrow back correctly. Then the next shot is her like pulling this flower down and like letting this liquid like pour into her throat. <laughs> I'm just like, Hot. what the fuck? <laughs> Some weird so sensual. It's okay you know um, i mean it's fine but everyone's got their thing man. In, in this started like a whole like subclass of furry people oh i'm sure dude uh, <laughs> yeah, fucking fucking a blue cat yeah but that that actually leads me to my next point is that when they're when they're looking over the avatars in the bloating tanks and whatever and uh jake just happens to park his wheelchair right in front of the crotch of his avatar and i'm like wow it's a good thing that he parked right there because i would be really offended if i had to look at like a fucking gigantic blue dick behind him i feel like i would be watching uh watchmen all over again you know with like the blue dong just flopping around in every other scene <laughs> anyway so moving on paul i want i really want to talk to you about this man because the you know the number one thing that i always connect to with movies is like acting right like even if it's a stupid story like if an actor or if the group of actors and directing is strong enough like they can draw you into a dumb world and you can actually enjoy what you're watching because of the performances and because of the directing proof positive of this is the mad max movies right like mad max <laughs> is this weird bizarre like snm fucking road <laughs> movie world right and the the first movie isn't particularly well acted other than mel gibson but like the directing is there and then the road warrior is fucking badass you know like that's a fucking oh, yeah. brilliant movie and then you move on to like mad max fury road which is like by far one of my favorite movies ever it's fucking yeah. brilliant but the the world is so outlandish and weird and there's no reference points connected to real society but you buy it because of the directing and because of the conviction of the acting but yeah. this movie i have a huge problem with this movie because none of these actors have the conviction necessary in order to bring across this stupid script that's like written with terrible clunky dialogue and i get that they're just trying to like vomit the lines back out and get their paycheck but at the same time I'm like you can't you know i mean you can sit there and be like james this doesn't you know feel right you know like can i can i change it up a little bit it seems a little much even from a fucking movie standpoint it doesn't draw me in and that's why for a majority of this movie i'm out is i'm just like i can't i can't fucking deal with this it's stupid eh, i think that's uh like your opinion <laughs> <laughs> i think the acting is fine there's a lot of good points in the movie like when they blow up the tree and the the one witch lady has this moment she just like cries out in anguish. <laughs> I just felt that pull in my heartstrings, man. Did it? Just yeah. So with felt that pain. I was angry after I saw that. I was like, fuck these people, man. <laughs> fuck these humans. I don't give a shit. You gotta kill with, them. With the scene that leads up into that, Paul, though, there's this moment that I I don't completely get is that they're sitting there and they're looking at the hologram and like Sigourney Weaver is like seeing Jake like tell george w bush like about the tree and its structure right and he says like oh this column is load bearing this column is load bearing blah 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 blah. and he's talking about what we'll see later which is the ability to like blow up and knock over the tree but i'm like so 
he's a fucking mechanical engineer now. He knows how certain columns in this tree are load bearing for this giant thing that's the size of the fucking Empire State Building. He can just guess on how this thing is put together. Maybe I didn't get you learned that. a few things in the Marines, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> would would you learn any form of mechanical engineering there, Rupert? Not as a no, not as a grunt. A grunt, because I'm, assume, I'm assuming that's what he was. It was a, he said he was force recon, right? I mean, even no. even even on his chair, like on the back of his chair, it says "grunt Sully" on the back of his chair. He was a grunt. He was a fucking grunt in the Marines. I mean, but. you got to learn how to blow shit up at some point. <laughs> and okay, the whole a lot of this is he kind of walks into this with a you know he's an empty jar to fill, and so he's like learning all this new shit the whole time he's there. He could be picking up on science and I mean yeah, he, all the languages, everything. So he's he's absorbing a lot of stuff. So maybe he picked that up uh, along the way. How he picked up, up mechanical. Okay, yeah, he picked up mechanical engineering. Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> you can also, I mean, if you look at a tree and there's a little piece sticking out, you can tell if that's load bearing or not versus, <laughs> you know, the main trunk, which obviously holds up the tree. So, okay. So let me, <laughs> let me talk to you about this for a second, Paul, like uh, Sig Sigourney Weaver's character in this movie, right? Uh -huh. She's just like this advanced researcher and botanist that like everybody respects for some reason, even though she like verbally berates people. But in in this opening scene where we meet her for the first time, she makes fun of Sully and like looks at uh, Norm, I think it is. And she's just like, uh, you know, no, I don't need him. I need his brother. And then, you know, Sully does have the good comeback of like, oh, well, he's dead. And she's just like, no, I need the PhD guy. You know, I mean, this is just them pissing on us and not even have the courtesy of calling it rain. And I'm like, look, you are one of these key people in the fucking Avatar program. You know that these people like have to be genetically like linked or whatever with the avatar in order to work and it just so happens that he has this brother that's a twin of him that has the same genetic makeup as his brother and like you know that he's the only one that can take control of this avatar other than this like other than the fact that this multi-billion dollar avatar that's been growing for six months or six years i'm sorry is completely fucking useless if you don't have that genetic match so why would she just be like an uncalled for bitch toward this guy it's not like they're just going to turn around and <laughs> well, like grow another i think avatar. Uh, the the whole point is that she wanted she didn't care about the avatar she wanted the dude for his knowledge Brain. and his research but he's dead she knows he's so dead. then she didn't want anyone in his place she's like he's just a fucking paperweight i don't give a <laughs> shit i wanted <laughs> but him to norm, do research but norm is a fucking idiot though, useless you know? to me norm, norm is an idiot too like the the nah, fucking, he's a biologist guy yeah he is but like the one time that they go out the first time that they go out and they're taking a, like samples norm puts the fucking like sample thing in his mouth and she says like norm you contaminated that because you put it in your mouth like so he's an idiot botanist who doesn't know anything about <laughs> he's trying to make the point that he's just so enthralled with everything and trying to take it all in that he uh fucked up a sample by <laughs> doing something that no good scientist would do so there was a go ahead rupert now i was just gonna say there was also a whole sub subplot of him being jealous of sully that yeah. they just dropped like yeah it was like for like maybe like 15 minutes and then all of a sudden he's back to being cool with them. Well, that's the thing is that it's like, it's so hit and miss. At the beginning, he's like perfectly comfortable with Sully, even though he knows that Sully's a grunt. 
And then right in the middle of it, like as soon as Sully is like getting in more with the natives or whatever and survives his night in the fucking jungle, all of a sudden he's mad at Sully and he shits on Sully. And then he like comes back around and there's no justification on why he's swinging back and forth. He's just sort of doing it. That, that's it's part of the character. Point. I didn't write that down. I mean, if someone, uh, some new grip showed up on your set, no experience, <laughs> Gabe, you know, you're like not threatened by him at first because uh, he doesn't have any experience, doesn't know shit. But for whatever reason, the the, the key grip picks him to do everything and leaves you on the sidelines. He picks up all the experience and suddenly he knows what he's doing. And then you can kind of uh, come back around to that fact and see work with him on equal footing. But the trick okay. is, Paul, is that I know what I'm doing. So like if <laughs> some kid is like learning, I'll let him learn. But I'm not going to be threatened by this person learning. Like it just doesn't make any fucking sense. On top of the fact that he's there to be a Marine, you know, like they make that very clear the first time that they go out. They give him a gun. They tell him to go stand over there and watch their backs. But this is this is a thing, again, Rupert, this is going to be pointed towards you. But when when they first put him in the thing, lack of a better word, the MRI machine, whatever, they put him in the fucking thing and they close it. And like she says, try not to screw anything up or something like that. And his response is kiss the darkest part of my lily white. And then they shut it in order to cut off the line. But I was just like, he's a Marine. OK, like I know this isn't R rated and he's not going to go straight for something really vulgar. But like that is a really long insult as the door is closing he could have very simply said like kiss my asshole or something like that no matter how vulgar somebody is i've never heard somebody say that whole line and i don't know if you had a different experience being in the military no. <laughs> yeah no the, the the military humor is like not that clever and very like concise yeah <laughs> like it's, you're not gonna get um um eloquent you know what i mean shit talking <laughs> <laughs> All I could think of when he was saying that long ass line was the crusher from Stand By Me when he shoots the gun in the air and he says, kiss my grits, you cheap dime store hood. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Listen to that one. But why, why in this movie, so this is going back to the racial thing in this movie, is that why in this movie does every person of color is regulated to staying back in the lab, okay? Like everybody that's going in the avatars is white. The guy who's the neurosurgeon yeah. is an Indian, an Eastern Indian, and they cut to the woman that's doing the phase alignment or whatever the fuck on the computer, and she's an Asian. And I'm like, why? Because the only Asian character in the movie can like computers? Like, what the fuck is this? The older that I get, the more I'm offended by this movie because this movie is so tone deaf. Right, if you look at the three Avatar characters, he wanted Sigourney Weaver. I mean, Cameron wanted her because he likes working with her. So there you go. He wrote the part for her. Sure. And then he wanted a pasty, nerdy guy <laughs> for the other role. And that the actor that what's his name again what he plays Norm's, norm his name is joel joel well i mean he epitomizes that if you've seen <laughs> like he's like perfect in that role in grandma's boy right like as the insecure master oh, game programmer yeah. he's like sure. great in that but so cameron wrote the nerdy insecure guy you <laughs> can't I mean, he went with the stereotype, nerdy, insecure, white programmer boy. And right. There you go. And you can't, you know, any more characters in that would just be, you know, too much screen time away from uh, the main story. White people? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so, um, so wait, wait, wait. I, I, let's move past this racial component. <laughs> 
So I, I want to talk real quick about like James Cameron thinking that he's smarter than he is. Okay. So when, when Jake wakes up in his avatar body and like they shine the light in his face and they start doing the pinna reflex, one of the doctors says in passing that truncal ataxia looks good. There's no truncal ataxia and truncal ataxia. It's like this drunk sailor thing for a lack of a better word. When you go from transitioning, whether that's sitting down or sitting up or, you know, sitting down to standing up, like you have like a sort of wavy thing to you because your nervous system is taking a second in order to you know take control of the body and he says that it looks good but jake immediately stands up and he starts swaying around like a drunk sailor even when he was sitting up he was looking kind of queasy and like moving around i'm like so his truncal ataxia wasn't good it was there it was very much present but like james cameron just thought if he threw this word in that nobody would know what it is and everybody's like oh it's science science speak okay yeah that's a like, it's good. stupid, man. It's stupid because it seems like not even he knew what it was. He just mm, threw it flux in. Flux vortex, too. Don't yeah, forget about that. Flux vortex. Actually, all right. I want to talk about this <laughs> from the science perspective. <laughs> and the whole floating mountain thing in a flux vortex, uh, assuming they're talking about a magnetic field, that is right. actually plausible. You think if there's a strong magnetic flux between the big Jupiter-looking planet and Pandora right yeah. at that point, then uh, it could create enough of a magnetic field to keep those rocks made of unobtainium, which is a superconductor, <laughs> levitating. So it's so, it's plausible enough. There'd have to be a lot of unobtainium and it'd have to be a really strong magnetic field. But Here's a really big question though, Paul, is that if there's that much of a magnetic field in that area and it's disturbing their instruments and it's causing mountains to float, which weigh hundreds of thousands of tons or hundreds of millions of tons, would a magnetic field that's that strong cause like, I don't know, instantaneous cancer or something like that to somebody flying through that magnetic field? No, no. Magnetic fields don't do that to your body. They <laughs> really, but I mean, if you have any don't... fillings, it might suck it straight out of your teeth. Yeah, your fillings, you might feel a little weird with your, so your fillings. Or if a giant with... helicopter made of metal <laughs> flew through it. <laughs> so most, I'm going to assume that this helicopter is made out of like super light weight materials like titanium and Some non-ferrous aluminum. material yeah non-ferrous so they're actually not affected by magnetic fields that much <laughs> and it doesn't have to be a super strong intense field to make these superconducting things levitate really it's real no it doesn't need to be <laughs> okay okay fine whatever right. so <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna move past it and talk about the the avatars for a second these avatars are 10 feet tall but when Jake is first introduced to Grace as an avatar. Grace's avatar is wearing a Harvard like shirt, a, a shirt big enough. No, it's Harvard. <laughs> a, a shirt big is enough. It I thought it said it's Harvard. It's Harvard, motherfucker. <laughs> so <laughs> there, she's wearing a shirt big enough for her avatar to say Harvard on the front of it. And I was like, are they making are they making like branded <laughs> streetwear for avatars in this alternate world? If so, where is the avatar? gap like do these fucking avatars like is there like a business <laughs> or are they hand stitching these things i was confused by it and i'm like you know maybe, i know what this maybe is it was tiny just, detail uh... that i'm getting focused on but like this is something that completes the world you know what i mean and like if i can't get into it because of these tiny little details that are building up you're still taking me out of the fucking movie could have been like a triple xl tank top thing that she just stretched over her avatar body and, <laughs> and kind of worked there you go explained away okay all right so explain to me this line paul at the beginning of the movie at the beginning of the movie 
Uh, <laughs> Stephen Lang says that if there is a hell, you might want to go there for some R and R. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that he's trying to make a point that this is like a hostile world, but this line doesn't make any sense because it's like it's not. Again, it's not an active war zone. Like there's not people actively like battling on a front somewhere against the Navi. Like yeah, they have like violent encounters and stuff like that, and people die, but they're like skirmishes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how would going to hell if the biblical sense of hell is to believe that there's a giant lake of fire where people are being melted in it for eternity and like everything that's possibly mm. awful and painful can happen to you how is that at all better than what's happening on this planet it, i mean it's still the analogy still doesn't make any fucking sense it's just meant to be melodramatic well that's the thing i think this movie doesn't one doesn't make make up its mind where it is in the in the stage of the conflict you know what i mean like right. at some points they make it seem like it's like in an active war zone and then in other points because remember when he says that's what you do you you create a conflict to give you a reason to invade to get something you want right? like, like mass destruction right so that's <laughs> the analogy Rumsfeld there. right there boom <laughs> but they would they were already there you know what I mean? So that would have happened before, like when you were back on Earth and you were trying to get the funding to go to <laughs> Pandora. Not before, like not, not while you're there. You know what I mean? Like it's very confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. So, Paul, I, ha I have a science beef that I need your help with other than the superconductor uh, uh, magnetic uh, flux yeah. thing. So uh, yeah. Norm, Norm says when they're measuring the, uh, the roots and he sticks the little probe in there, Grace says that the reaction is probably electrical based on the speed of the reaction, right? Of these, these plants communicating with each other. And Norm seems mystified by this, but I'm like, Whoa. what the fuck else could it be? Like, it's not biological, obviously. It's not like cells that are physically transferring. It has to be electrical. Like, there's really no other fucking like it's not magic well i mean there's a lot of different mechanisms for uh cells to communicate with other cells and those are usually chemical based rather based than on messenger messenger chemicals yeah and i mean a lot of uh a lot of things in your body work that way your immune system is all chemically based okay. um your neurological system too to a certain your point. neurological system uses like ion transport from what i understand i'm not a neurologist or a cell <laughs> biologist but it does it is electrical sim like uh electrical uh signals passing through your nervous system right so trees do not have nervous systems though so that's why it's so surprised that's why it's that's why it's yeah a big that's deal. why it's so amazing because okay. it's electric yeah all right so rupert i have a question for you um in in the scene that just passed where they first go out on their first expedition and grace tells sully that he's there in order to provide protection for them to be overwatch right um sully wanders off because reasons you know, doesn't yeah. matter. So he wanders off, but would would a Marine that is like Sully, say he's a strict and he was a good Marine, you know what I mean? Would a Marine put in that situation to provide Overwatch for these people, wander away and then be fucking like blown away by these like retracting flowers so much that he's going to forget where his researchers he was supposed to protect are? It doesn't no. seem genuine to me, you know, like it seems like the first time he's out, he's just distracted like a child in a candy store <laughs> rather than and actually being like the marine that he's supposed to be no especially not 
like I don't think it would happen at all, but especially not someone like him who they portray to be like this Uber Marine. Like, you know what I mean? Like he even says, fuck this he said at the beginning. He's like, Oh, there's nothing like a safety briefing to put your mind at ease. Right. Literally no one would ever say that. But <laughs> like so he's like this super duper marine, you know what I mean? Like so right. it's yeah. like no. Like that goes against everything you ever learn or do, you know what I mean? Like now is there a small, tiny possibility that maybe some shitbag soldier or shitbag marine would do that? <laughs> Yeah, but that's not what they're making him to be, you know what I right. mean? So no, I don't I don't buy that for a second. Yeah. Um, especially also not leaving him behind. Like that's the <laughs> other part that I didn't fucking understand. Like since when is that okay? There's one rule in the military that's like like one hundred percent that's the rule. And that's you never leave a man behind or a woman. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So it's like I don't understand. Like I don't even remember what the logic was. I just remember yeah. I wrote it in my notes. But No, was, he just he just wandered off because he was like seeing something pretty and then he saw the the flowers and he started touching them. Yeah. And then the giant ha- hammerhead rhino chased after him. <laughs> but they just left him. <laughs> yeah. They just like, fuck that guy. He, he'll be all right. He's dead. Yeah. So uh, that, that leads into another military question of that. He has this weapon that he pulled off of the door gunner, right? He pulls off the mounted machine gun and he puts it on his person and he starts carrying it around. But when the lizard panther or whatever starts chasing after him and he's stuck underneath the roots, the lizard panther is able to grab this thing away from him with its mouth and like throw it away and disarm Sully, right? Why, if he is a Marine, do they not have a five-point harness on him, like holding the machine gun on him? He was just carrying this thing around. It wasn't even attached to his person. Uh, I buy that. For a machine gun, I buy that. You're not technically not supposed to. You're right right in thinking that you would have it strapped to you somehow. But but I carry the 240 all the time, not strapped to my body at all. I just wanted to be able to, yeah, I wanted to be able to sit that shit down as soon as I could. (laughs) So like, no, Uh, so I kind of get that. But like an M4, you would have it attached to you like with a D-ring and then you would just like, you know, unclip it. it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's disappointing for me that they still have like bullets, (laughs) bullets, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) chemical based. Yeah. You think that they would have been able like to like pulse rifles or lasers or yeah. something cool like what that, did but. what did they say, Paul? They I don't think that they explained <clears throat> what the atmosphere is made out of. They just said that it's like a neurotoxin or something that in 40 seconds you'll not be able to breathe and in two minutes you'll be dead. But I don't think they yeah. ever mentioned what it was, right? No, they didn't. I was just curious because like, you know, a firearm with a mini explosion might light the air on fire around it if it's something, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently it's I not combustible. Like I feel like at tw- by 2154, they should be able to weaponize lasers by that point, though, you know, and they could have laser rifles. Yeah, but one would I would think that would make <laughs> sense. But uh, a lot of this is uh, like GW Bush technology yeah. where they have turbine <laughs> engines and like, right. jet engines on their mechs and stuff. And right. I don't think I don't think they'd be doing that using fossil fuels for that kind of shit. Right. At this you point know. in time, when they have, when they have to have like fusion drives on their on their spaceships, at least <laughs> it doesn't. They'd figure out some kind of energy storage solution, battery like <laughs> to especially store since a lot they probably energy. don't know whether there's like a giant deposit of you know oil somewhere on Pandora that yeah. they can distill in the fossil fuels. Yeah. Yeah. Right whatever <laughs> so here's here's a question paul like in oh, in the boy. scene just before when he's separated and it's at night right and he's got that giant q-tip looking thing and he's like rubbing it in the wax of the tree and he lights it on fire in order to fight off all the little mini panther lizards so immediately following the scene after she jumps in and kills this guy or kills this panther and then like bitches at him for making her have to kill him 
there's all this bioluminescence everywhere in the forest. Everything is lit up. The ground that they walk on like lights up like bioluminescent algae every time they step on it. But that's the exact same area that he just was five seconds ago. Like how come it wasn't lit up then? And beyond that, how did he know that this sap from this tree that he's never seen before will light on fire for him to make a torch for him to do what he's about to do with these fucking lizards? I mean, maybe he, he did survival school for the forest. <laughs> recon and i mean i i know that sap actually i mean if it's thick sap it makes a good very combustible fuel so i mean it's I mean, basically he sugar he would have done sear for sure as a force yeah. recon so, that's true well, there you go so he's like ah, it looks like sap i'm gonna try burning it what else <laughs> the fuck are you gonna do with that <laughs> so this movie's entire conflict paul postulates itself upon the fact that he falls in love with this native girl and it just so happens that this native girl is cute enough to him, even in his like human brain inside of a cat body, that he's willing to like do all this shit because he wants to be around the girl, right? I don't understand how this is such a fucking trope going along the lines on top of the <laughs> fact that it's fetishizing indigenous people, which is supremely offensive to people like me who are Native American. It's like, oh, a oh, oh, white guy interested in the fucking indigenous person. Wow, that's original. But beyond that... <laughs> It's like, what if she wasn't that attractive? You know what I mean? Like, I uh, I will just say this because... You I'm, don't have a movie, man. I will just That's say this idea. because I'm slightly perverted in this way, but to <laughs> climb a 10-foot tree like that and figure it out <laughs> as a human being would be kind of interesting. But if you're... if. <laughs> But if you're the same size as that person and she has those weird cat ears and everything, like, I'm not into it. You know what I mean? Like, that's just me. But the mechanics. Everyone's got their thing, Gabe. You got to, if it's a James Cameron epic, you got to have a love story, man. Yeah. God forbid. (laughs) This movie is, this this movie is like the something for everyone movie. Like, literally crafted to perfection. Like I said before, it's a little bit of that every element, you know, grandma's gonna like it, you know, mom's gonna get, you know, she likes Sully a little bit. And <laughs> people of color might be really pissed kids, off at this movie. Everyone. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. So one thing that they never bring up in terms of technology in this movie is that the avatars are being linked wirelessly somehow. It's not like the Matrix where they have the giant needle in the back of the head and they trade consciousness that way. It's like they just sort of put them in this thing that's got like the fiber optics around them and then like it connects with their mind and beams them into the other brain. Quantum entanglement. Boom. There you go. Is is that the is that the uh, the scientific explanation, Paul? Sure. Because I was I was wondering that. about. <laughs> that's one of those science terms just to throw out there and be like, yeah, boom. Yeah, that's it. Put well, no, I was in front of anything. You got to take it as it is, Gabe. I mean, if they tried a bunch of exposition trying to explain <laughs> how it works. Well, why not? They, they made a good choice. Cho- no, no. anyway they made a good choice to go with Jake's perspective on it, and it's just some thing that he doesn't understand but it works and it is a means to an end (laughs) so if they went too far into it it just make a bunch of it would just waste time and be boring so (laughs) so in uh in the realm of technology there's this uh this moment when they get in their little mobile command structure whatever where they can like put them in the avatar bodies remotely 
this is 134 years in the future from now, right? And it's like, what, you know, 145 years from when this movie was made. But they're still in the fucking trailer. They still have paper pictures printed out for him to look at. <laughs> and they still use microwaves in order to reheat their food. Well, I mean, they got yeah, to keep some familiar things. Otherwise, just totally totally disconnected and not relatable so that's why he chose the story the way it is and all of the elements and stereotypical characters it's all stuff that you can understand and then you just the rest of it is all about the world and right picking up what the navi do and their culture and everything like that i know that james cameron throughout this movie he keeps referencing like other best picture winners the chief offense here being dances with wolves he's constantly referencing dances with wolves in this movie but he makes a reference to or in the extended version they talk about what happened at the school that they saw earlier with like the bullet holes in the chalkboard and whatnot like grace's old school and she basically talks about how the troops come in and they shot up the place and they killed all these kids in, in the middle of this like plantation school right and i was like wait a second didn't i see that in another academy award winning movie <laughs> called platoon from years ago it's like james cameron just mm. decided to pick up all these scenes out of all these movies that were best picture winners and he thought if he combined them all into <laughs> one movie that he might have a chance at winning best picture this year but he didn't oh, yeah. he didn't win uh, best picture yeah, but yeah, it yeah, just seemed but <laughs> <laughs> Did the hurt locker win that year the Hurt Locker won this year, yeah. yeah best best picture, best director. It's an entertaining movie and whatnot, but this isn't best picture material, you know what I mean? It's all the check marks for best picture, man. <laughs> it's all there, <laughs> every single element. I mean, one of the things that pisses me off about the movie, it's not that it just lifts like story elements and characters from other movies, but the sound and the sound design. You listen to the, the what's his name? James Horner, is yeah. his name? His soundtrack. I mean, he lifts all these motifs from his other soundtracks. Yeah. You can hear Braveheart. You yeah. can hear Lion King. You can hear Lion the first King few notes of the like, point. what's that? Lion King wasn't James Horner, but I get your point. Who was it? Who is it? Was it Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer did the Lion Hans King. Zimmer, uh, whatever. Well, he, he steals from Lion King too. So. <laughs> one, of, one of the chief, but, the, the one that but, I wrote down was he stole from Enemy at the Gates like multiple times. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's the three that's note right. motif that's in, yep, yeah, that's yeah. in, it's fucking it's so irritating dude he i mean he rips off Rocks my heart will go on too he yep. like takes the first two notes of that and the penny whistle so, <laughs> yeah so yeah the the soundtrack is even like a collection of best picture material movies right <laughs> and then i mean and then you listen to the sound sound effects and you can hear ilm like all over that like right. you hear star wars sounds <laughs> and the worst part is like they just ripped off like literally play back copy and paste sounds from jurassic park yeah you hear the t-rex roar sounds, yeah raptor sounds they just <laughs> ripped those right out of jurassic park yeah that's that true pissed me off i mean this movie deserved better sound than <laughs> they gave it and it's like kind of the sound as an after effect right that's uh, bummer so this movie won best achievement in cinematography this year. And like, I get, I get it winning best visual effects. I get that, you know, like for the time, this is a huge leap forward. And like the only thing that I can sort of give it in terms of the cinematography, but it's not the cinematographer that came up with this. It's the visual effects team that did is that they were able to craft previs bodies onto motion capture subjects in the viewfinders of the camera. So as they were shooting, they were seeing these 
pre-viz avatars in front of them rather than actually Zoe with all the fucking ping pong balls all over her and you know Jake mm-hmm. with all the fucking ping pong balls on him and whatnot but like I don't understand how this movie won best cinematography like 99% of it is green screen and plates that are being manipulated by visual effects in order to create the images like what about this was actually cinematography Real? for lack of a better <laughs> word you know what I mean like actually lighting something well I mean the, the DP I mean like you said the DP is going to be involved in like the lighting of it and 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 once they're putting it all together um but i like because I, I had this conversation a lot of times about should there be two categories of best achievement in cinematography like a straight up live action one and one that's heavily you know cgi um i think so i think there should be two categories yeah because um, movies movies like what pixar does a lot of pixar movies have like beautiful cinematography in it but it's all digital you know like they created everything in the world right but the thing that pisses me off about this movie that i won for best cinematography is that everything that they shot like with people in a in a in a, on a set or whatever was shitty like it was it, it looked it, it looked like it was like a like a bad cw like dc show you know what i mean like yeah it looked like it was like i and so i don't understand when i saw that that it won best cinematography i was so confused because <laughs> it was only because of the cgi they did which to me i guess it was mind-blowing for 2009 but i didn't think it was i mean it still holds up and it looks great but i don't know like it's i would have never given it best cinematography i don't well, know I mean, what, we, what else came out that year i just i didn't understand how like it's this and as much as i love the movie you know like life of pi won best cinematography and a lot of that was also you know heavy heavy visual effects it wasn't you know actual cinematography this year robert richardson was nominated for inglorious bastards christian berger was nominated for the white ribbon bruno de Bonnell was nominated for harry potter and the half-blood prince and barry Aykroyd for the hurt locker and avatar Hurt Locker so, got I mean, nominated for yeah. Best Cinematography? Jeez. For Barry Aykroyd, yeah. So, I mean, does digital lighting count as cinematography? I think it should, yes. But it shouldn't um, be over live action. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there should be two. Yeah. There should be two categories. There should be like digital cinematography and then like live action cinematography. Because there is there is like the other thing about this cinematography component, like with Roger Deakins with 1917, like there's this visual trickery when it comes to green screen and layering and digital cuts and stuff like that, that allow you to create things like 1917 or Birdman that is a is a cinematography achievement, but it is also heavily reliant on visual effects in order to create that image but it's not entirely visual effects right like there was like actual camera movement and actual planning that went into it it wasn't just a bunch of fucking people on a forty thousand foot or square foot like sound stage jerking off with ping pong balls and (laughs) cameras you know yeah (laughs) i i I just i thought that was an interesting take because that that really that really does confuse me how this one best cinematography i really don't get it but regardless, moving yeah, on. That's pretty weird. <laughs> so Paul, when he goes out and he hunts with Zoe Saldana and he kills that lizard panther, right? And she, and he like does his little prayer for Awa and then he sticks it with the fucking knife and she looks at him and she's like, a clean kill. Good, you're ready. And then the next scene, <laughs> she leads him into this like very sacred ritual as she puts it of like choosing one of the dragons, right? Or whatever the fuck they're called. Which I think that's probably my favorite whole sequence in the movie. 
movie, honestly. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. Uh, no, I mean, it's entertaining and it's it's well made. But my point was, is that how is this like clean kill and him praying to Awa enough for this newbie that's only been around for a couple of months <laughs> to be exposed and claim a dragon mm. as if he's a member of the tribe? You know, this is a huge problem that I have with like these white savior native movies. Even Dances with Wolves had this problem. Is that like people are too proud about their culture they can share it but they would never never fucking let them in that quickly you know what i mean like it would have to be years and years and years yeah. of you doing this in order to be any but i mean then that's not filmic sitting around for years and years nope it's pretty boring it's pretty boring three months seriously <laughs> It's all it takes to become a man in uh, the uh, Navi. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. So, so when he uh, when they go and they take control of the dragons, and he's like, he wraps the thing around its head and he grabs a hold of it, and she's like, Sahelu, Sahelu, you know, like do the do the fucking mind meld thing with your ponytail in order to take control of the dragon. Uh, he puts this thing in, and he's like holding this fucking dragon down and like really fighting the dragon in order to insert something of himself into the dragon. <laughs> Yeah. He like, mind rapes the dragon. Really, really rapey vibes yeah. from this. Scene. Yeah, Man, it's pretty bad. Dragon did not want it. Did not want it. But they did, did not consent. Yeah. But they Dragons. did it anyway. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So one scene that I will say is lifted directly from Dances with Wolves that's only in this collector's edition is the buffalo hunting scene where they fly <laughs> over the buffalo and they shoot the, like fucking six-legged buffalo. Like that scene is literally shot for shot exactly like oh. the buffalo hunting scene in Dances with Wolves. And at a certain point, I just got to say, you know, like there's hundreds of people working on these scenes, the visual effects animators, James Cameron leading the whole p- gaggle of fuckheads trying to make this movie. But like somebody's got to say something, you know what I mean? And be like, this really reminds me, even if it's ancillary, this really reminds me of Dances with Wolves. Why are we doing this? Blah, 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 blah. And nobody you said know, this. I'm pretty sure James Cameron was just like, make it look like Dances with Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> what I want. Make it do, make it I do mean, that. Isn't that what Tarantino does? What? <laughs> like oh, says, gosh. like, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you make- seen that Korean movie from 1942? <laughs> I want to do that exactly. But I'm, okay, Gabe. Honestly, would you would you go to hell, James Cameron, that his ideas are stupid when he's paying you a lot of money? Like he's a he's a multi billionaire. Have point. you <laughs> met? <Gabe? laughs> well, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've been on really expensive movies or TV shows where I'm sitting there bitching about how stupid a scene is that we're shooting, and I don't do it quietly. So <laughs> <laughs> there was actually that that TV. But would show- you would you tell James Cameron? with his force of will and his vision of exactly what he wants in this What's movie. He gonna no, do? he What's knows he what do? he is wants he in this movie. going to have me killed? You know what I mean? Like, what, he's, the worst he's going to do is just, It would be pointless. I'm saying, like, you could say what you want and he's going to be like, yeah, that's nice. I already wrote it down. I know what it's supposed <laughs> to look like. And then he's going to so... say, how many movies have you made? How much money have you made? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't, that's I don't such know a dumb argument. I don't know what he's going to tell you, but... So... The I'm going to skip ahead a lot and because like if I, if I get bogged to. down into the second act, I'm going to be here for a while, but I want to skip ahead <laughs> to the dumb fuck moment of this movie for me. The dumb, the dumbest fuck moment part of this movie for me is the gathering of the clan scene. And it's immediately preceded by like Jake has already got them kicked out of their home world or their home 
tree or whatever and the tree gets blown up father gets speared zoe's pissed at him for killing her dad and like he's standing there with all the natives after getting him away and he's just like with your permission i'd like to speak will you translate for me brother and they stand there and he gives (laughs) this like fucking speech in english even though he speaks navi he still gives his speech in english so that way expositionally we as american audiences and english-speaking audiences that we get riled up with But I'm like, okay, so that doesn't make sense that he would be speaking not in the language that he actually speaks, but beyond that. So this gathering of clans scene is exactly from Braveheart, dude. Like literally from Braveheart. He gives the big speech about kicking the English out. And then they go on that five minute fucking montage where they gather all the clans and they meet on the battlefield with all these fucking people. And like for me, even watching it in the theater, you remember going to see this movie in the theater with me, Paul. Like I was pretty blown away, I think, as were you, like by the 3D, the IMAX 3D. And I was sitting there and I was pretty blown away by the visual effects experience and like how well the 3D was integrated into the movie. But that moment, even with as as invested in the movie as I was visually, it pulled me completely out because all I was thinking of was Braveheart. And I was just like, okay, yeah, this is definitely dumb. And I've always held on to that. That is the dumbest scene in this movie. It's just, it's fucking exposition and irritating and (laughs) lifted directly from another better movie that did it better. You can't argue. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, how he got there, like it was like, oh, he dumped his other dragon for a bigger, meaner dragon. Yeah. But that that was supposed to be like a bond forever or something. I know, dude. I actually wrote that down in my notes. That this is so <laughs> fucked up that they expose this guy to this ritual where the the bond is for life, but they know that this guy can be in and out because he's a demon or whatever, like the brother says. But they're just gonna like let this happen, and then he bonds with that other animal, knowing that it's a bond for life, and he just does it haphazardly so that way he can use the fucking bigger dragon like a condom and just throw it away when he's done with it. <laughs> Once again, it shows that like he, the white guy, has no respect for like nature. <laughs> or like the the culture of other people. It's just him being a fucking cultural tourist again. Besides the fact, I, I really didn't like that is that he kills the leader, right? He accidentally kills the leader by his actions. All the fucking natives blame him for it. Materi is pissed, but all he has to do is show up with this big dragon and then all of a sudden everybody forgives him. They're like, oh, he's obviously the chosen one. I'm like, wow, these people yeah, are really stupid. Like, I mean, the big yeah. dragon was pretty sweet. And it's cool. I don't want to mess wrong. with them if he had that big ass dragon either. So, but are you gonna think like, that right. he, are you gonna think that he's like the best thing since sliced bread, and you're gonna let him take control? It's like it's like okay. So <laughs> I'm gonna go down a little side route here. My problem with Battlestar Galactica, right? Fuck you. I- <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand how that one guy who constantly, I can't even remember the names now, but that one guy that constantly keeps seeing the Cylons and he isn't sure whether he's sane or not. What the fuck is his name? He's like dating the Cylons. Anyway, anyway, he's... He's, he's constantly seeing Cylons and there's multiple scenes in the first season where people walk in on him talking to himself and like obviously he's fucking nuts but every season all the way through the third season he gets a little more power and more control over more people's lives and then it ends up in that position where he ends up killing all those people on the fucking spaceship or whatever and everybody's <laughs> like oh my god what a tragedy I'm like this was very easily avoidable like you had multiple documented cases of him obviously having fucking mental issues but you're allowing this to continue and like it's the same thing Gabe Gabe, just we have Trump as president shit like that happens all the time in real life okay that's true no so true I back off now (laughs) that is so true (laughs) 
I mean, obviously someone unfit for power, but they get there anyways by whatever means Reasons. they have. <laughs> Reasons. <laughs> That's Man. very true, Paul. So, I, I appreciate uh, you yeah. I feel that. I feel your argument they were building for just like deflating, like it was a <laughs> sad balloon. <laughs> <laughs> you had to pick Battlestar Galactica, one of my favorite shows. But. Well, I still don't like Battlestar Galactica. It still doesn't make any sense to me. But regardless. All right. Well, we're gonna move on. <laughs> I will say I will say the one part of this movie that I do really like, even though like from a contextual standpoint I have a problem with, is like when they steal the helicopter and Stephen Lang like kicks the door open and he starts shooting at them. I actually really like that moment. It like it makes sense to me. Like I would be pissed off too. And I like how aggro he is in that scene. It's the only scene that I'll give him that he's like overly wait, aggro. Wait, which... Which one? Which one are you talking about? They steal. They when, when they're, they're escaping, escaping and like Trudy and all of them steal yeah. the fucking helicopter. Yeah, that's pretty and bad. Stephen Lang like yells out masks on and just kicks the door open without like considering anybody else's safety, <laughs> so that way he can empty a clip and try to murder everybody on this fucking yeah. helicopter. No, that's pretty bad. Seems a little aggro, Dude, when but he... like it's badass. All right, I thought it was badass when he escapes the flaming like dropship thing. <laughs> Like I thought I that was a that perfect sequence. Being stupid as fuck, dude. Like, I I love it. It's he gets like blown out of the fireball and like falls down to the ground, yeah, and the ship and just badass. happens to come down ten feet behind him and explode in a giant God fireball. Damn. <laughs> it's fucking hard um, shit, man. I like I like that scene that you're talking about, but you know what doesn't make sense is uh, what's her face Rodriguez's character mm-hmm. Trudy. When they're firing at the tree, she says she says fuck this. I didn't sign up for this shit and takes <laughs> off. But then no one says anything <laughs> yeah, about that. Insubordination. So then she has a yeah, then she has the opportunity to escape yeah. in the helicopter. Like that didn't make any right. sense. Because if if we were in a firefight and we one of us just decided, okay, I'm not gonna shoot anymore because this is not what I signed up for, we like you're not gonna get your weapons back <laughs> or anything. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna be put in a room somewhere, we're gonna find out what's wrong <laughs> with you. <laughs> you know, like I remember when I saw that, I was like, hey, what? Like it didn't yeah. make any sense to me. But yeah. whatever. It was a cool scene about the so the scene that's and, playing and right also for me in the battle scene before you just bitch about it like <laughs> when the two when michelle rodriguez dies and uh the other guy like jumps on the back of the drop ship and gets murdered by the soldier oh, and like yeah, falls yeah. out and he's got like the wings and he's like oh and he's falling down <laughs> i i thought that was great stuff manipulated me perfectly and i felt <laughs> i felt some emotions I have a real problem with James Horner's score in that scene because like the woman who's vocalizing is like so over the top that it's just (laughs) calls so much attention to itself that it's like really hard for me to ignore it. Like, is this woman trying to do like a Lisa Gerard like gladiator thing? Because like her voice is like really jagged and just not that interesting for me to really be invested. It just pulled me out in all honesty, but I get what you're saying, Paul. Because the cinematography and the editing and like the way that that scene is structured, it is pretty good. I just wish that the music was better. That final <laughs> battle scene was Otherwise, better than I think it like the been best a better part scene. I think of the whole movie. But 
Awa, like that, that's one of the biggest examples of like a Deus Ex Machina in a movie is that like there, it seems like they're getting fucked up in that end battle scene and that all hope is lost. And then all the creatures happen to revolt right at the <laughs> moment that the battle is about to turn away from their favor and that they're going to get beaten. And all the animals come out and like destroy all the America or all the fucking invaders and whatnot. And I was like, that's really convenient that Awa waited <laughs> until this exact moment in order to send in all the animals. It seems like yeah. you know Awa may have been sitting a- back. Like, Awa has been uh, watching, and <laughs> she said, "Oh shit! Looks like they're gonna lose. Better do something about it." Isn't that what like regular God does too, though? Yeah, sure. But I mean, yeah. God doesn't exist, though. So. <laughs> well, Awa is like real Awa. in this movie. <laughs> Honestly, if Awa has this network of let's just call it a nervous system throughout the world, <laughs> all the pain and suffering of those people being murdered. At that moment, Awa would feel that immensely <laughs> and then be able to do something about it instead of just listening to Jake Sully once. <laughs> so it does kind of make sense from a biological perspective that Awa is feeling threatened and so at even, that moment decides even to take Thierry, over all the other animals. Even Tiri saying that, you know, Awa heard you. You're saying that Natiri was wrong, that Awa didn't hear Jake Sully, that she was just responding to the electrical well, signal. Well, I mean, Awa heard him and then heard her her people getting murdered. So she's like, oh, yeah, he's <laughs> speaking the truth. So I guess I'll uh, do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I should probably step in now. <laughs> I, I have a problem with the way that the mechs are used in this movie, Paul. Like they do fucking I don't giant like, knives. That's fucking awesome. Right? <laughs> no, I mean that's that's fine, but like I don't like how the guys are like using their hands and those gloves in exactly the same motions. But the, the biggest thing that I can point to is that there's a moment right near the beginning of the battle where the guy start, the white supremacist guy with the bald head that's always saying get some like has that big gun and he starts shooting and like the mech has recoil because it's taking the fucking brunt of the energy. But inside of the mech, the guy is like moving recoil in his hands from this weapon that he doesn't have in his hands. It's in the hands of the mech and i'm like this pisses me off because why would his hands be feeling the haptic feedback from the weapon that the fucking machine is holding well i mean if you need that feedback to be able to control it the way that he does how i mean the if you have no if AI. you have no, no well okay sure <laughs> But if you want to be able to remote control some like large machine like that, you need feedback. If you just, I mean, if you move your arm and it hits an object, but your control arm just keeps moving, then you lose that link between the two. So it has to have that negative feedback. I get that. In order for it to work technically. So he's going to feel that recoil. What information of the recoil does that give the fucking operator, though? Uh, It tells him where the gun is in the hands (laughs) of the mech. I mean, you can't aim. He can see it with the sight line of the weapon. Like, he knows where the the rounds are landing. You know what I mean? Would it be would it be for like a familiar like so you can go through the same steps you would like if you had the gun in your actual hand? You know what I mean? Yeah. So because you know how you go like sight picture, trigger squeeze that kind of thing like all the the different steps you take so like that is that why it does it you know what i mean no, it's, it's just, like if you try try to write a letter 
without being able to feel your hand. I mean, imagine how hard that would be. Like you can't do it. You can't just watch your hand move. And I get try it. To but like, that's that's a minute that detail, Paul. That's a right. minute activity. Firing a weapon is not a minute activity. Hence why you can mount guns on fucking planes <laughs> and you don't need haptic feedback from the guns in order to tell the gunner where the fucking bullets are going. Oh, that's you know true. What I mean, yeah, that's like, a good point. But the, the suit is made to do more than just shoot guns if if that's all it was supposed to do it would just have a gun mounted built gun into the arm yeah, yeah. On, <laughs> on a special mount but instead it's more than that and you need that feedback it's supposed to grab yeah. and stuff yeah. you need that feedback to be able to control it properly okay so let me let me extend this a well, little that's bit one further. of these like nice details that i love about this movie because <laughs> there's all kinds of little things like that like everything is functional Super everything is there for a reason everything feels real so let me let me oh. go a little bit further with the haptic feedback for a second deuter <laughs> deuter gets speared in the chest with the two arrows right by natiri near the end Stephen yeah. lang takes two arrows to the chest he falls over in the suit which causes the mech in order to fall over backwards so if the operator dies is there a haptic feedback so that way if he falls in a certain direction inside of the mech the mech also falls over in that same direction that seems like a huge fucking design flaw <laughs> i mean well, it wouldn't he... be very interesting if it just sat there it'd be boring <laughs> If it just, okay so like in in yeah, district, it would make sense from a nine. it would make sense from a safety perspective that if the driver were incapacitated it just would Shut down stop moving kneel, yeah 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 but, like a dead yeah. man switch on any it's, giant piece yeah. of fucking machinery <laughs> Yeah. Like in District 9, it's a perfect example. He puts on that giant exosuit and he's getting the, sh the suit's getting fucked up, right? And the suit fails and the suit crouches down on its knees and just opens up and drops the guy out so that way he can run because the suit can no longer function. It's essentially a, a, a tomb at that point, a fucking steel coffin. But like somehow yeah. that's that's what I'm saying is that kind of attention to detail in terms of the mechanics works for me. But having this suit fall back in like this dramatic fashion, like John Wayne style, <laughs> that doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? But anyway, I, I, I want to wrap this up in a second, but I, I want to bring up I want to bring up this this like so in in the scene where they try to save Grace, they put her on the ground and they attach her with all these tendrils like into her neck and whatnot. And it's supposed to transfer over to the other avatar. I'm trying to think I know that they don't show it in the movie, but I'm trying to think of one practical reason why the Navi would know how to do this. Would there be something in their past that maybe somebody was dying and they wanted to transfer them into another body? If so, if that was the case, why didn't they take the king when he had the fucking thing stuck in his gut and take him to the tree of souls and try to get his body transferred to another body? You know what I mean? But I mean, I guess they don't have blanks like these. Well, maybe they avatars. already did that. I don't know. But how would the how would the Navi know how to do this? In what practical yeah. way would they know how to do this? It's just again another sex machina. It's just there, even though there's no practical reason why this would exist in their society. Maybe that's their version of uh, reincarnation. Like they 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 go to animals. Oh, you know and I mean? then they just put them in the ground. Well, maybe maybe they only reserve the the. Awa transformation for the most important things and the king isn't one of those people and maybe they only do it with the, <laughs> the dragon lady you know <laughs> oh, 
It's fine. They don't have blanks though. That's what I'm trying to say, Paul. They don't have blank bodies to transfer consciousness into. There's no point in the ceremony existing. It's just, again, a fucking deus ex machina <laughs> in order to save Jake's character at the end. Well, it's maybe they're just trying to, to they take someone who's really sick to Awa and they do this ceremony to try to see if they can get their soul sorted out, either come back to their body or go on to Awa. <laughs> and they, they know that they're like, you know, puppet people. So they have to bring both of their their avatar and their their real body or whatever <laughs> to make it happen to get their soul sorted out. And Awa gets to choose what happens to the soul. Does it go to the avatar? Does it go to uh, space? Or, or does it just die? I don't know. There you go. Perfect explanation. Right. Fantastic, Paul. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm going to wrap this up by talking about real quick about the, the subtitles in this movie, right? This is a genuine design problem that I fucking... Oh, man. Love the avatar Font. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the avatar <laughs> font. The avatar font is literally the papyrus font from any program. If you go to your any writing program and you switch to papyrus, it is the fucking avatar font. And it pisses me off because with as as well made as this movie is and well crafted over all these little details, like the font and the movie title at the end are all this like very basic font that you can get on any computer around the world. And I was just like, it's not. It's not a cool design man like it doesn't look all that interesting it looks like somebody just slapped up some new times roman on the fucking screen and that was it you know like oh, it's, no. lazy. it's nowhere nowhere anywhere in new times roman league there it's <laughs> sans it, you can recognize it you see anything and you're like oh yeah that's avatar font right there <laughs> boom it's but it's what made that font famous, even if it was a pre-made font. No one had ever used it before. It's <laughs> one of the most creative aspects. That's ever fucking used the graphic design program in their life has seen this font at least once or twice. It's like what they use in every juice bar in fucking Brooklyn. If you go and you get a mango, strawberry, whatever. It's Did they do it before different. Avatar? I don't think so. I don't know. I wasn't in Brooklyn before Avatar, no. but you know, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that's not important man all right so i wasn't gonna bring up a sandwich beef in this movie because there weren't there wasn't anybody like eating a sandwich in this movie but for the sake of this podcast for the ability to have a sandwich beef in every episode i'm gonna talk about a real sandwich beef in real life okay so in new york there's a real problem with gentrification it's gentrification if you're not familiar with it it's a systematic way of pushing people out of an area so in in spanish harlem there used to be a place called all american deli it's a very stupid name just like any other great deli in new york it's a very simple <laughs> name that you can get literally anywhere but these people when you went in there in order to get a sausalito turkey sandwich a sausalito turkey sandwich is generally like you know turkey that's covered in some sort of spices and then slow baked in like the spicy rub so it's like spicy and tasty and salty but these people went a step further and they made their loaf of turkey like an olive loaf like you know meat olive loaves where they put olives inside of the loaf of meat nice. but they would use grilled chipotle peppers that they actually grilled and then they put it inside of there so when they sliced the meat there were like these slices of chipotle pepper inside of it they'd put that on a nice fresh baked bun and they'd sell you all this for six bucks for a fucking like foot long basically you know i'm just using subway terms so that way everybody can tell how big the sandwich is but like a foot long hoagie would be like six bucks and you'd get a sausalito turkey but this area started gentrifying in 2015 or so 
And this shop disappeared so quickly that by the next time that I was in that area working on a movie, I was so excited because I was like, oh, dudes, for lunch, we're going to go to this fucking deli. It's literally across the street, blah, 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 blah. We go to lunch that day. I walk across the street and it's a fucking juice shop. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like this, this really pissed me off so badly that my idea of like this sandwich place was just this very romanticized view like Harlequin <laughs> in Birds of Prey. And it's gone now because of white people. So thank you, white yeah. people, for destroying something that was very important to me <laughs> and having a sandwich shop disappear because of that. Uh-huh. So that is my sandwich beef for this week. Yeah. I do knew you, it was- think the the Avatar sandwich would be? It's like <laughs> one of those like six-legged buffalo things. Like I mean, they would have to make some sort of, they would have to make some sort of bread, like non-bread, you know what I mean? Like yeah. something that's like a flat bread that you could wrap it yeah. in. It would be like, it would almost be like a fucking uh, shawarma at that point. You could do like a six-legged buffalo shawarma type thing yeah nice <laughs> i'd be into that you know i mean yeah. especially if they had a little bit of the multicolored skin on the outside that was caramelized i'd be okay with that you know it'd be like a rainbow trout inside of your sandwich <laughs> dude watching this movie i remembered how much i fucking hated the animals they look so <laughs> stupid it's like they took something in reality and then just tacked on a bunch of extra legs and like some gills and oh, some yeah. weird yeah. tendril things oh. and they just threw it out there it's like digimon <laughs> digimon well, folks, that is Avatar, James Cameron's 2009. Absolutely atrocious pile of shit that Paul does hold on to. Eventually, we're <laughs> going to get to a movie that I really like that Paul absolutely hates. And I really look forward to that day. So until that day, <laughs> until that day, thank you guys once again for joining us. Thank you for subscribing, liking, comment what you think would be a good movie for us to talk about on this podcast. If you like a movie or you think that a movie that we have reviewed on this show is actually good try to defend it in the comments i'd like to see what people have to say that we haven't already covered anyway thank you again once again this is movie dicks i am gabriel chavez i'm paul schindel and i'm rupert thanks guys (laughs) for joining us till next week